Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her in grocery. <laughs> My name is... Grocery? I, I don't know. No. No, this is why I do this part of the podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know where that came okay. from, but I'm here with my beautiful <laughs> co-host, Joy. <laughs> Joy, I want you to know that if you wanted to eat animal fries at midnight, I would buy them for you. <laughs> if you didn't want to eat animal fries at midnight, I wouldn't judge you too much. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say I wouldn't buy them for you. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made more sense. Right. But I well, just, thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Um very predictably i am joy tembe uh, you're right and very predictably i'm here with my beautiful co-host summer and very predictably i am also doing a food compliment which what? why stop mm, they don't know yet shush joy <laughs> okay um summer mm. this is actually inspired from a what kind of food are you quiz is that why you're asking me those random yeah. questions mm-hmm. while i was wolfing down my lunch so i took this quiz as though i were i was you okay i no okay yeah. just no okay um, <laughs> and this is what i came up with okay <clears throat> summer yep you are like a taco mm. you're a little crunchy <laughs> A little spicy. <laughs> and given the choice, you are full of beef. <laughs> <laughs> who, but I mean, who doesn't like tacos? What kind of person but is against you tacos? You are like a taco. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. <laughs> For uh, all those reasons. Because I did, I did tell and you. And you also always put salsa on yourself <laughs> sorry you know I was enjoying one of my famous salsa baths <laughs> just the other night and um, I love to smell like tomato <laughs> and cilantro yeah and Who that's doesn't? what that's why people that I'm gonna be on an airplane with tonight <laughs> are looking forward to my arrival <laughs> and that's great. Who's eating tacos in here? Oh no! Oh, it's no just... one's eating tacos. <laughs> I am like a taco, and I bathe with just picante <laughs> salsa. <laughs> uh, so great. We should end this before it gets weirder. Because no. my brain's already going there. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> because so when we we dropped our interview with Ali Stuckey last week. Uh, 
you know, our intro was so awkward because yeah. we like we we had a real like I love lamp just <laughs> right. moment. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> the second that <laughs> Marcus was like, "Okay, we're recording," and we like had to do this with a camera on us. Yeah, we didn't know mm-hmm. what to do with our faces or our anything. No, really. <laughs> and so there were several, uh, particularly I think women who have never listened to our podcast before. Who were like, you know, I really wanted to watch this, except you guys are taking really just way too long to get to the point. And I'm just like, well, that's what we do. Our (laughs) podcast is not for you. It really just isn't. We totally accept. I listened to, we talked about this in another episode. Mm -hmm. Um, We both listen to a lot of different podcasts. Some of them are very well produced and they have a structure. They have music. They have... And then some podcasts that I also love yeah. are really just people talking about nothing, and then they talk about the thing that the yeah. podcast is about. And then they about, talk about nothing and again. And they talk about nothing. But I love it. Right. And I'm into it. And so I I can, I like both styles. Yeah. If you don't like the style where people talk about nothing, and then they talk about the thing, and then they talk about nothing, well, then maybe my this advice is, not, is, is that you can fast forward. <laughs> you can. You can <laughs> totally skip it. That's I just, fine. I just thought it was so funny because it was like, um, you guys are taking too long. And I'm just like, well, I'm not in control of your podcast player. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that it was a video and people couldn't listen to it at two times speed? No, I think that they don't know that you can fast forward. You can move. You can scrub the video. You can move the time along yourself. I can't do that for you. And it was just really funny um, that it's like a, it's like an interesting kind of podcasts are so new yeah. Like this whole phenomenon of podcasts are just so new. And like, it's not like you're listening to radio where you're stuck with whatever they're doing. Right. Like with podcasts, you're not stuck with anything. Right. There's like, so many. You can listen to it slower. You can listen to it faster. But you can fast like forward. <laughs> because one of us bathes in tacos <laughs> and the other one doesn't eat animal fries at midnight. <laughs> but it's not judged for it too harshly. Right. right. So, did I tell you that today's episode is actually my husband's fault? Oh, really? Yeah, because we were chatting one night. We talk a lot. You Just, talk a talk. lot? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm talk sorry. Talk a lot, eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm fired. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> who are we? Um... I can't even begin now. Um, we Let's were not start going down we that were trail. Yeah, speaking with one another, <laughs> and and he was like, "Well, why haven't you had Doug Wilson on your show yet?" And I was like, "I don't know. There's people who I want to have on the show who I know I could wrangle into coming on the show, right? Who I'm just waiting for like that topic that right. I want because you can talk to anybody about like their wheelhouse, but like." Right. I've been waiting for like and Douglas Wilson's wheelhouse is basically everything. everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, that's the thing about about Doug Wilson is that I don't know. I want to have him on the show. I don't know what I want to talk to him about. Right. And I'm gonna invite him when I figure that out. Mm-hmm. And he had read Confessions of a Food Catholic, and he was like, well, duh, that that one. Right. You need to read it. It's so great talked to him about that and i was like oh my goodness that's perfect 
Um, and so, yeah. so wait, Eric just read Confessions of a Food Catholic. Yep, and said have just like not because you said anything or no. just because he no he reads like eight books a week because he listens to his books at work. He's got like eight hours a day of reading and studying that he does while he's at work. So he ha- he's like the most well-read person that I know who doesn't actually read books. He listens to them. Wow. But that's what he does at work. I feel like I'm learning so much about him right now. Yeah. Eric. It's why he knows so many things. He's right. all, he, he's listening. He's he's at work right now listening to something. He's right. learning something right now. It's right. really cool. That's why I said like podcasts, this like weird world that we're in where you can listen right. to your books and learn. And it's like yeah. new and weird. But mm-hmm. like he's read so many books. I'll, I will mention a book in passing where I'm like, oh, I'm working through this book. And then he's like, read it 24 hours later. He's like, well, I listened to that book today. And, and I'm like, I haven't even gotten through it yet. Stop. So what you're saying is today we should just have Douglas Wilson do an audio reading <laughs> of Confessions of, his, of a Food Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric said he loved it and that I would love it and I should read it. So... He was like, that's what you should talk to him about. Because it's really interesting. It's not the normal thing people ask Doug Wilson about. (laughs) It's not like (laughs) when you think of Doug Wilson, you're not, this isn't the first topic or book that's going to come to mind. No, yeah. And so it's different. And it's, I mean, obviously, as you can testify, a really great book. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I've actually never spoken to Doug Wilson before. Me either. How is that possible? I mean, I think I have, but it was on the radio show, maybe... I don't know why. And I don't know if I spoke to him. Yeah. I may have just sat there. <laughs> it's kind of going through a weird phase. Now I can't stop talking. Which one do you guys like better? Um, I like where you talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, let's jump into it. So Pastor Wilson, we are we are actually really happy to have you. That's like what you just say to a guest when you have them on, right. but we are legitimately really excited to have you on today. So thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. And I'm happy to be here. I, um, I actually met you when I was 14. You were debating my dad in Florida and I can't tell you what the topic was, which is really sad. <laughs> um, I think, I think, but I think it was California. Was it California? I think so. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll take it. It was a coastal place because I know I hopped on a cruise ship like right after. (laughs) Coastal place with palm trees. Yes. 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 I got got close. We were debating. uh... Go ahead. Uh, I I got close, but I think it had something. I mean, it had something to do with baptism. Let's be honest, right? Yes, it it had. Well, everything has something to do with baptism. But we were were debating whether... um, Protestant churches should receive Roman Catholic baptism. Right. That was the. Uh, yes, that's right. I really wish that I had paid more attention uh, because it was only a couple years later that I just one random day in the kitchen in my house, my dad goes, hey, do you read Doug Wilson's blog? And I was like, who? And he was like, Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson, you need to read his blog. And he, he sent me the link. And this was about. A decade ago and so I've been reading it ever since and so it's that weird thing where I talk to your family members pretty regularly and I read your blog regularly so it's just very weird and strange and awkward that this is the first time I've actually spoken to you 
Yes. Well, it's going well. Good. Okay, good. Thank you. I like that. I like that rating. Um, (laughs) So anyway, um, Confessions of a Food Catholic. I genuinely believe after reading this book that this is like the one, if people are like, well, what Doug Wilson book should I start with? Like, this is going to be the one, Um, which is strange because I don't think most people equate uh, Doug Wilson with talking about food issues. (laughs) Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about why why you wrote the book in the first place? Well, um, my my day job, what I do ordinarily in the course of um, uh, my life is I work as a pastor. So I'm an active pastor. And I noticed over the years and uh, a troubling increase in food issues that were disrupting fellowship between Christians. It was a. It came up as a practical, pastoral problem. So I've seen. I've seen issues uh, wreck. I've seen food issues wreck families. I've seen it disturb uh, peace of congregations or relationships within a congregation. And I started seeing um, a sort of troubling, recurring issues come up just as a pastor. And when a pastor starts seeing trouble in the congregation among his people, one of the things he should do is say, what does the Bible teach about this? And uh, and start addressing it. So I began to address it on my blog. And, and not surprisingly, when I wrote about food issues, I would often get very strident uh, pushback indicating to me that yeah there really is an issue here we have to we have to talk about this right right who would you say so i struggle with when i'm talking about specifically about issues that i receive a lot of pushback on uh which usually falls under the category of you know i'm a i'm a female and i'm talking about women's issues in the church and i i don't take a egalitarian or feminist Dance. I'm not even neutral towards those things. I'm very opposed to those things. And so I find myself making a lot of caveats and a lot of qualifications because the people that I want to reach, it's not even that um, it's not even that we have common ground. We're, we're on we're very on oppositional ground. And so what I loved about especially the beginning of the book were that was that you made caveats and qualifications for who this book was for in what was actually a very edifying way. Um, and so who would you say you wrote the book for and who did you not write the book for? I, I did not write the book. I'll start with that. I did not write the book for people whose taste buds gravitate in a different direction than mine do or whose training to appreciate certain foods are uh, um, would be different than my training would be. Or their, tra- their training and experience um, can vary from mine. So I did not write the book to be imperialistic about any food issues, whatever. Um, basically, my the whole argument, the whole uh, impetus behind the book is to say that following Christ means that food imperialism is out and that would include my own food imperialism so it's it's not just the other guys food imperialism that is rejected it's all food imperialism so it's a big world and if one group of people like 
to eat hot, spicy foods, and someone else likes to eat a lot of seafood, and someone else likes to uh, live in a big city where there are a lot of restaurants from all over the world they want to eat that way and if someone else in nebraska wants to feed their kids peanut butter sandwiches with skippy peanut butter um all of that is absolutely fine with me provided they can all come to the table of the lord in peace together so um so this is not um like a food snob book The, the title is confessions of a food catholic uh i think that we ought to instill food catholicity meaning that we ought to leave our brother alone, leave, uh, leave others alone, don't be strident about food issues at all. So I, I did not write the book in order to um, get people to join my food gang. Uh, I did write the book for people who are trapped themselves in food guilt issues, uh, either food guilt or food atonement issues. They're trying to... Um, get right with God or get rid of their their feeling of self-condemnation through what they put in their mouth, or um, someone who has a loved one or a close friend who is struggling with that. So basically, I, I wrote this book for those in food bondage or in relationship with someone who's in food bondage, and I didn't write it uh, for someone who uh, likes different stuff than I like. Right. How do you think you can tell if you are in that food bondage? Like if you are eating food according to a desire to want to assuage some kind of guilt that you're not properly dealing with, how how can you recognize that in yourself? Well, I, um, this might seem, you know, simplistic, but it, I'll, I'll answer it with... Um, uh, if you go into the doctor and you say, um, you know, my elbow hurts. If he said, well, how do you know if your elbow hurts? Your reply would be, well, it's hurts. You know, it, it's pain. <laughs> it's it's un- it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I shy away from it. I don't look forward to it. Um, so uh, when I think about, you know, I, I know of a situation where a woman, when she thought about eating um uh, the bread at the Lord's Supper, she would just get almost physically ill because of the gluten um, that was in the in the bread. When when you look forward to dinner with a sense of foreboding, or uh, you find yourself eating alone more and more because you can't get along with people who serve something else. You you don't have people into your home because um, they might not want to eat what you serve or you don't want to go over to someone else's house because you might not want to eat what they serve. If basically if if food is occupying a lion's share of your mental energy and it's not joyful food prep, you know, let's say a, a woman is cooking a dinner for her family and she's working on it all afternoon. Well, she's thinking about food all afternoon, but if it's with joy, anticipatory joy, then she is, uh, that's healthy. But if it's, oh no, and so-and-so is going to be critical, and I don't know, and and this always makes me feel sick, I I would say something's wrong. Our meals ought to be more fun than that. Right, right. So I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. So essentially in the book, pretty much the main point that you're making is that um, we use food as 
so we're sinful, we're fallen, and issues with food can commonly, like the root of it can commonly be that we have an issue somewhere else and food kind of becomes the proxy. Uh, very good. Okay. We fight, pro- we, we, we fight proxy wars with our food. Right. And, and you can cut to the chase. I would say uh, this is the sort of thing that I'd be willing to say in a sermon, for example. Um, listen, God doesn't care what you eat. God doesn't care. Um, it can be spinach. It can be a Twinkie. It can be a 16-ounce soda. It can be French fries. It can be filet mignon on your anniversary dinner. God, That issue in and of itself, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. He, and if he cared, he would have given us a law about it. He didn't. Therefore, God doesn't care. Um, he, he cares in the adverbs, right? He cares how we eat. He, he wants us to eat with gratitude. He wants us to eat with thoughtfulness for our companions. He wants to, us to rejoice um, together with the people that we're sharing table fellowship with. But those are all the adverbs. I cannot get an inch closer to God by what I put in my mouth or what I refuse to put in my mouth. Right, right. So would you say, you said something in the book about how with with where our culture is at, and this was like really interesting to me, with where our culture is at, we're in this sexually perverse, baby-killing culture that is right. hyper-preoccupied with food. And you made the connection that that seems to be a way to assuage... Um, guilt essentially can you talk more about that absolutely yeah um that's a that's a crucial uh, that's a crucial point so when you look at a country as wicked as ours is currently being um what 50 60 million children and counting Mm -hmm. have been have been executed we have solemnized sodomite unions we are chasing and persecuting anybody who objects, we, we, we are given over to wickedness, okay? Now, uh, and, and we're told explicitly in the New Testament that we're to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and places like that, remembering what God did to them. We, we are under judgment. And because we're created in the image of God, we know that we're under judgment. But also, because we're created in the image of God, we have a deep need to be righteous, right? So one of the one of our creational attributes is that we need to be righteous. We need to be considered to be righteous. We need to be in the right, and yet we are intolerably wicked. So what what do we do? Well, we pick some arbitrary um, issue, turn it into a, a moralistic crusade, and we demand that everybody else get on board with us with this moralistic crusade. That's what the whole climate change thing is. That's what recycling your garbage is. That's what environmentalism is. It's a way for people um, it's a way for people who live immoral, skanky lives to feel righteous. That's what they're doing. They're compensating. The whole thing is compensatory. And so um, if you are um, fastidious about what you eat and what you won't eat, you go into um, you go into some 
bistro and you pour over the menu carefully, as carefully as a rabbi looking for bacon, right? You you are a diligent, you're a diligent, careful person because you never eat uh, chicken with hormones in it. You never, you know. You don't. You just don't do that stuff. Why? You you must be a fine fellow. You must be a fine person. You must be a righteous person. Those abortions and those one night stands, notwithstanding, we're trying to shout our guilt down. Right, right, yeah. So I just don't know. It's when you're saying it, it's like this is so obvious, but it's just not something that we talk about very often, because I feel like in a lot of Christian circles, we kind of want to pat those on the head who want to earn their righteousness in this way because it does seem very moral and there are legitimate i mean we we are told to take care of our bodies and so as with anything in the christian life that requires balance because obviously you're not advocating that someone with diabetes subsist on a diet of donuts alone that's not your message Yeah, because the Bible said man shall not live by donuts alone. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it's right, it's right there, you guys. Um, at least if but you're see, uh, reading the King James. But even, even there, there's, a, there's an important distinction I'd w- I would want to make. Um, when, uh, when people say, well, we're, we're supposed to take care of our bodies. Well, yes, we are within limits, within general good stewardship limits. But when Paul traveled around preaching the gospel, getting stoned multiple times, <laughs> shipwrecked multiple times, dragged out of town multiple times, one thing he was not doing was taking care of his body. <laughs> right. right. He, you know, um, the, our body is an instrument. It's a tool. And we're, it's supposed to wear out. We're supposed to we're supposed to spend ourselves in the service of God. Now, we're not supposed to spend ourselves in the service of crack cocaine, right? We're not supposed to um, give ourselves over to various forms of dissi- dissipation, like like alcohol or drugs or the um, the gourmands, like the ancient Romans, the Romans who would stuff themselves and then go out into the vomitorium and throw it all up. And you know, we're not supposed to abuse our bodies that way. But in Corinthians, where it says um, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's that passage. It, it, uh, Paul says expressly, all other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when bo- Paul is saying, "Don't don't desecrate the sanctuary," he was not talking about refined sugar. He was not talking about donuts there particularly. He was talking about avoid sexual immorality because that's how you that's how you defile the temple. I do think you can argue for good stewardship and, you know, getting your annual checkup and not eating a crazy out of whack um, imbalanced diet. I think that's a there's a biblical argument from the stewardship passages in Proverbs. But um, we're we're only supposed to keep our body in tune because it's an instrument that is supposed to be dented and used and and used up. Right. Right. Well, and that's I suppose that's not necessarily the point you're trying to make like this book really isn't for the reasonable person who is just considering their health and oh i feel better when i eat this your this book is for the the person who has idolatry yeah yeah yeah, who has yeah correct well and i've heard your daughter say what you just said 
um, a lot in reference to motherhood and how we should use our bodies that way. And it's just, it is, it's such a countercultural message that I don't think we hear enough of even from our pulpits, because I think uh, even in our churches, there's a concept of, you know, you need to protect your body and it's a temple and all of these things. But that message of, well, yes, be a good steward, but you should be expending what God has given you for the sake of the kingdom is just, it's largely missing at this point. Right. I would right. say you, you take care of your body. You, you should take care of your body the way a marathon runner takes care of his body. You know, he wants to take drinks that are handed to him along the route because he wants to run in such a way that when he gets to the finish line, he doesn't have anything left. Right. That, that's the, 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 that's why you're taking care of your body so that you don't run out of gas with, 10 miles to go. Right. It's um, not to, not to you, live forever. You, you don't. Yeah. It's and that, if someone says, well, Hey, listen, if you, if you eat that, you're going to, um, uh, if you, if you uh, eat that particular food, you're going to, uh, die eventually, you know, three years earlier. And I would say, Oh, so if I quit eating that, what, what am I going to die of then? Right. Right. I'm going to die. I'm going to die of something. Right. Right. And <laughs> yes. I want I want to make sure that what I do, the life I live and the de- death I die is done in the service of the kingdom. Right. Right. Well, so I think that. Um, and I really hope this doesn't come across the wrong way to anyone that's listening or maybe I do. Um, <laughs> I think that this book is important for our audience to read. Um, I see, and I'm definitely not being, I'm not like tossing accusations towards anyone that I know personally, but you just see, I see on on social media, I see constant dietary restrictions, dietary advice. Do you have this? Do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that runs a lot in the female circle. Yes. And so I think it, it is a great read Um, Not because those food choices are like you're wrong. You're getting the science wrong. But like you said, it's uh, disrupting fellowship within the body. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. One of the things I I, uh, say in the book, and, and this is one of the notes I conclude on is the most important thing about your, about your meals is who you're eating with it, uh, the the Latin word, um, well, our word companion comes from the Latin words companus. Panis is the Latin word for bread. So a companion is someone who shares bread with you, and uh, that. And when Paul refers to a true companion, he's talking about people who travel with him, shared his hardships, who shared meals, um, and koinonia fellowship in the New Testament is a very big deal. And the attempts by the Judaizers to set up a dietary barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles at the Christian potluck was resisted by the Apostle Paul as, a, as an assault on the gospel. So we should be very jealous of, of um, those who would disrupt table fellowship. It, it matters far more that you're able to laugh and tell a joke and share the um, share fellowship across the table with someone, and God doesn't care what really is what's what's on your plate. Really, it's 
are you are you cultivating fellowship with the believers? Is this a spiritual endeavor who you're eating with? And if you start um, making arcane, detailed regulations, aside from, you know, you know, if you invite, uh, the, uh, let me just throw in the obvious exceptions. If you invite someone over to your house for dinner and one of their family is desperately allergic to peanuts and you um, and you've got peanuts in the in the food you serve them and you're all going to spend the rest of the evening down at the ER because <laughs> that person swells up. Of course, that those sorts of things we know how to take into we take those things in stride and not serving that person peanuts is part of loving them. Right. It's part of good but fellowship. When, but when, <laughs> yeah. Um, but when everybody, everybody shows up at the dinner table with a list of 58 semi quasi allergenic foods um, that they, they can't eat. Um, and if I eat this, I might feel a tad wonky two days later. Um, Look, we ought not to be throwing those sorts of barriers up. If if you want to invite someone over, if you want to show hospitality, which is a very big deal in the New Testament, if you want to show hospitality, that is a difficult enough challenge. That's that's um, that's hard enough without having everybody putting in special menu items beforehand. Right. What would you say um, to the person that says? but I can't give up my list of things that I need you to leave out of my fellowship meal. Like I can't let go of it because I need them. This is like, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I would say need them. Why? If, if, if you need them because if, if uh, you eat any of those things on the list, you're going to die. Well, I'll say, you know, I'll say, man, now you've got a point there. We should be more considerate of you, but if you, if you are carrying them around like an emotional crutch, what you're doing is you're demanding that the rest of the world drop everything and cater to you. And that's the reason you're miserable, right? And um, so I would, uh, there's another thing that uh, comes up in this book that I would want to trace all this back to. Um, one of the things that fathers do, or what we're dealing with is an epidemic of fatherlessness um, and people have a terrible, desperate father hunger, and they don't recognize that God the Father is a good father, and good fathers give bread. Good fathers give food. Um, and because so many people have a disrupted or or toxic relationship with their dad, or a non-existent relationship with their dad, they're trying to fix it themselves. They're trying to self-medicate through what they eat and don't eat. And what I would submit to you is if, if this person you're suggesting said, I, I just can't give this up, I would say, can you do at least this? Can you acknowledge that this is the problem and not the food itself? Right. It's, it's your, in, uh, your unwillingness to have God deal with this part of your life. So what, as a pastor, I'll tell people when they say, I can't give this up, I, I would say, are you willing to tell God that you're willing to be made willing? Are you are you willing for God to change your mind on this? Are you willing for God to overhaul you? Are you willing to say, God, do what it takes? I know that I know this is I know this is messed up. 
I, I know that I'm not happy at, at meals. I know that my meals are with people I love are disrupted all the time. And I know that the problem is probably me. God, would you do what it takes to fix me? Are you willing to say that? Right. What a difficult prayer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not yeah. willing to let go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all prayed that prayer in yeah. some area. <laughs> Please just do it for me. Uh, and then yeah. you sort of brace yourself yeah. for like, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's that moment that you ask God for more patience and you realize what's about to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's 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 two kinds of there's two kinds of prayers that Christians are reluctant to pray. The first kind is we're reluctant to pray because uh, we know that the answer is no. So if I if I were to pray, um, Lord, please give me three red convertible Ferraris by tomorrow, <laughs> I would be reluctant. I'd be I'd be hesitant to pray that prayer, or ten freezer chests full of my f- favorite ice cream. I'd be hesitant to pray that prayer because I know that the answer is going to be no. But there are other prayers that I'm reluctant to pray because I'm afraid the answer would be yes. Yes. Right. Right. What, um, right. Like, like the prayer for patience or Lord, yes. would you please break me down? And if, if I'm a food idolater, would you please reveal that to me, break it all down and liberate me from it? And would you do what it takes? If that prayer sticks in your throat, the reason it's sticking in your throat is you're afraid God would answer it. Right. Right. Well, but what is your favorite ice cream? <laughs> Cookies and cream. Yeah, what a great answer. Yes. <laughs> I knew it would be something just real down to earth, but like right. r- just with chunks. a little flourish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little entertainment in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And how do you, That's, how do you, what, what, what ice cream would the Puritans like? <laughs> Vanilla? That's what I like. <laughs> that depends on which Puritan you're talking about. That's right. very, very true. How do you feel about Korean barbecue now? Oh, you like the story of the I beginning? I love that yeah, story. Um, the, um, so the um, I've had I've had Korean food um, that I, I really really liked. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. 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 That was the story that uh, that really kicked all this off because um, it just tickled my husband to no end, right. and he had to tell me about it the second he read it. And although he had already told me the story when I read it myself, it's still just you guys have to read the story because I I can't tell it. And the whole intro to the book <laughs> yes. is awesome. Yes. I just have to tell you, um, we are in the learning stages of how to make qualifications here at Sheologians. And I was just super, super impressed with how you like made distinctions with who the book is for Mm -hmm. and who it's not for. And in such an entertaining way. Um, And I do think that the topic is just so important. I'm really, really grateful that you wrote this book. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, Let me look at you. If you mind, I'd like to say something about the, what qualifications are for. Oh, please. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, the, and, the, uh, and this is a really, I think very important and it's really basic. There are uh, some preachers, writers, teachers who, when they, as soon as they start qualifying at the front end, you get the feeling that they're going, what they're doing is they're pulling the punch. They're they're trying to they're going to say something that they know is unpopular, and they're trying to wrap it up in cotton batting, so that it doesn't come across quite so harsh, right? That's that's the um, 
that's the sensation you get. And I think that we have far too much of that kind of qualification uh, going on. The other kind of qualification and the, qual- the qualifications I try to put in blog posts or let, let's say I'm writing a blog post and I know I know that the topic is going to be, it's going to be a stinker, right? Um, there's going to be a lot of outrage because I'm going to tip somebody's sacred cow. Um, and I'll call it the, I call it the second paragraph technique. So I'll, I'll put a paragraph, a second paragraph in there that anticipates you know, a bunch of the objections that are going to be thrown at me when people get to the stinker part. And what I'm doing is I'm not trying to soften my initial punch. What I'm doing is preparing a counter punch. So I write the the blog post. I put the qualification in there. Um, Some people go up like a sheet of flame because of the stuff I say later. And they say, you're saying this, you're saying, you're saying that all women are stupid or you're saying, you know, something like that. And what I'm doing in the second paragraph is preparing my counterpunch where I would come back replying to them. No, I'm not saying um, that women are stupid. If I'm writing on feminism, if you take uh, if you take note of what I said in the second paragraph here, I said, do not think that I'm about to say that women are stupid. <laughs> right. I'm prepared. I prepared prepared a counterpunch. So the qualifications are not there because we're becoming lovers, not fighters. The qualifications should be there to make us more effective fighters. I, I can't even tell you how much I needed to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, Heather might be able to tell you how much I've needed to hear that. But <laughs> that's very, that's, it's very true. I think that, and this is, I'm not going to take us off on another topic, but just the um, the emotionalism that is the absolute linchpin upon which evangelicalism currently turns. It's really uh, difficult at times to not want to soften your punch, um, but it's something that is hard to do. It's hard to do gracefully, and it's hard not to kind of follow the trend of just living in a place of qualification and waffling, and that's obviously not what we sh- we should be doing. And it's not what we want to do, but I just, I really do think that, uh, the, especially the first part of this book is just like a masterclass on how to do that well and Absolutely. do it clearly. And I just really, really appreciated it. Well, yes. thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I have a question for both of you. Oh, okay. Is this a fun question? It is a fun question. I mean, for me, I think it is. Oh, great. As long as it's fun for you, Joy. Um, what is your favorite flavor combination. So what I'm looking for are like two things mm-hmm. that pair well mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and they're your favorite thing that do that. <laughs> okay. Oh. oh. Um, don't don't ladies first me. I need a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, there are a lot of them. Okay. okay, you can okay, say as say, many as you want. I am into all right, this. <laughs> all right, I would say, I would say, um, I would say my favorite is probably steak and butter. Oh, that's brilliant! Classic, but timelessly true. <laughs> <laughs> steak now you might butter. have to steal some of the butter from the potatoes. <laughs> sure. So right. Nobody, sure. No, nobody. Uh, people look at you funny when you put butter on your steak. <laughs> 
But fortunately, your potatoes are right there, and you can you can put butter on the potatoes. And one of the things I admire about potatoes, and I've admired the wisdom of God in how he made potatoes for for some time, is potatoes are magnificent in retaining heat. Potatoes retain heat like nobody's business. And so you put the butter on the potatoes, you eat some of the steak, you eat the potatoes, and there's a bunch of butter left on the plate. And <laughs> dipping your the remainder of your steak in that butter, that's just the best. That's that's very that's true. And and as you're saying that I realized well I have can I go with two just I'll be fast sure that's fine okay uh bacon I'm totally into food pairing so I know you are just go for it I know you are I think um uh, bacon and eggs is hard to beat I mean that is I like to put my scrambled eggs like on top of my bacon and use my bacon as like a bacon spoon right I don't as the utensil I've never told anybody that before (laughs) God gave it all to you in that moment (laughs) yes he was like you don't even need a plate or a fork just anything bacon spoon um and then the other is I really like coffee with a tiny piece of dark chocolate like that just that does it for me that's great what about you what's yours um I think my favorite is goat cheese and beets what <laughs> and i had it today for lunch i mean not just that but it was in a salad <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised nobody nobody mentioned dipping oreos in mustard <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean with with joy's palette that would be totally possible <laughs> I like earthy things, guys. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, no judgment. Um, but I don't feel that I have any sort of like morality that's connected okay. to them. As long as you, <laughs> as long as you don't do that. I accept that it's weird. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, Doug. I like my, I like coffee just paired with nothing. <laughs> I know. Is that okay? <laughs> it's, it's fine, I guess. And I'll try not to judge you for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Doug Wilson, I am so thankful for you. Your, your daughters are just, you know, you and, and Nancy will talk about like the worth of pouring into your children and the fruit that it bears down the line. And I have been a recipient of what you guys have sown from reading your daughter's books and your son's books. And now I'm getting to know Heather and they've just been such a crazy blessing to me. I am so glad that my dad can debate you and also recommend reading your blog at the same time. And we're just so grateful down here for the the work that you guys do. And I just thank you so much for taking time out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You're very very welcome. I'm very grateful for my kids. And we think a lot of you guys, you guys are the best. Oh, thanks so much, Jack. All right, we're going to let you go. So we will talk to you later. All right, God bless. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Okay, so obviously, I think that was... I loved what just happened. I love it. But of course, an interview does not do a book justice. No, but I just think that the things that he brought up in regards to culture and how we... There's really a lot for for a book this size. There's really a yeah. lot... That extends out to other topics. It kind of goes into like the lawful, not profitable discussion. Like the, and the point is, is that we're not, we're not recording this in an attempt to say, this is about you. Right. If you're listening, this is about you. Right. But what 
I think we are trying to accomplish here is that you should get the book and read it. It's really good. I highly recommend whether it. it's about you or not. Yeah, I don't feel like I think that there are there there are precepts and foundational ideas in the book that will apply to each and every sinner in some way, even if it doesn't have to do with food. And it helped me, it helped me be more introspective. Like, do I do this and help me think through, is this something that I do? Because I think we all do it in small ways. If nothing else for me, it was, I don't have a lot of confidence in cooking because Mm -hmm. it's just not something I'm great at. And it, really encouraged me to think of cooking as a way to bless my family right? and to remove it from being about how well I can cook, like that it's okay that I'm in process of learning how to cook and that's okay because the heart behind it should just be seeking to glorify God and loving the people that I'm cooking for. And so that concept was obviously interwoven throughout the book and and that's something it is ultimately about fellowship yeah and how to not disrupt it yeah and how to stop disrupting it if you are um and i do yeah i do think that that's something that applies to us all um well and we can be really fussy when we think we're not good at something right um i know that i've been that way with food like i can be really fussy about well, no, I can't do that. Or I can't have people over. And it is, it's nerve wracking for me to cook for large groups of people because I'm just not a great cook. And so my joke has always been, you know, oh, well, I wouldn't be blessing anybody if I invited them over for dinner because I've honestly felt that way. But then like having to reevaluate, okay, well, how can I change that? Am I really honoring God with that view of, how I can serve others through this very basic thing. And um, instead of feeling pressure to cook well, I have been able to enjoy just the process. And if I cook something that I don't really don't like, I don't have to get down about it or feel ashamed about it. It's like, okay, well, I did learn something here. Right. And we all ate dinner. We try this new thing next time. Yeah. And so it just helped me kind and of... And then all of a sudden you're into cooking. That's how it happens, <laughs> just so you know. Is that how it happens? Yeah. I don't know. When you learn little tricks and things like that. I and tried you... to make a mug cake the other night. Okay. I didn't tell you about it because essentially what came out of the microwave was... Um, I, I imagine about as appetizing as this carpet right here um, with the same texture. So well, it... microwaves are evil, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that would be totally against this whole thing so, we're talking yeah, about. No, no, no. So don't go there. Um, so the point is, is that, you know, I, but I didn't beat myself up about it. It Good. wasn't like, well, I can't make a mug cake, so I guess I'll just never try. Right. It was like, okay, well, I know that if I want to kind of venture into this, like, quick dessert territory, I'm going to have some more work to do. And that's right. okay. Like, and it was really nice not to feel like a total failure of a human being. That's the most fun part about cooking is, it? is like it not necessarily. I wouldn't even call it a fail, but just like a time where you're like, I think next time maybe this would help. And right. then you say, then you cook something else and the next time this could help. And then all right. of a sudden, you know, these little things and you're like, Oh, now I want to try this. And then there's right. like, it's just, cooking is great yep. the fruit of it can be fellowship very easily yes um 
And so I think I'm like struggling for if I want to even like share this, but share it. So like I am that person that has to pray to God. Like you might have to do this. (laughs) You might have to take this away. Right. Um, There's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons why I enjoyed this book and I don't, um, there's a lot of things in this book. I don't think I'm struggling with or don't struggle with. Um, but there are some things, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens with food. It's weird. Cause you have to eat it to survive. <laughs> and then some of us want to eat healthier right. and feel better. Um, right. I don't know. It's yeah. just a, it's, um, <laughs> I'm I just know. so glad that he, he put it that way. That's an even better answer than I, could have possibly imagined yeah. that he would give to that question. And I know there's a whole community of moms who we stress about how our kids eat. Right. To the point where feeding our kids becomes not just a chore, but like a task that is insurmountable. Well, or it indicates how good of a parent you are and how right. much you love your kids. Right. Um, there's just, I think that, I don't think this is a ladies topic, no. but women tend to prepare food more. Sure. If you have kids, you prepare food all day long. <laughs> Chances are so many chicken um, nuggets <laughs> and w- women tend to be the more um, like hospitable. They have people into their home, right. that kind of thing. Right. So I do think that um, if you can get this book, yeah, you should. Yeah. Is everything I said just crazy or no, my brain's not working not, right now? It's not. It's that we were up so late talking and then. Do you really not like beets and goat cheese? I have never met. A be- okay. Well, one time this we're going off. I'll just say this quickly. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> the guy that catered like Jimmy Fallon's wedding has that restaurant downtown here. Not downtown, but I whatever it's like this world famous pizza guy and i oh okay yeah i know the yeah mm-hmm. yeah and he it's like he consistently has like nation's best pizza mm-hmm. but like you know how restaurants are always like world's best hamburger but right. you know like when when like the food community votes it's like this re- right. this guy yeah. it's his pizza mm-hmm. so i went to his restaurant and we ordered appetizers and one of the appetizers was this like beet Christini goat cheese thing Mm -hmm. and I had never had a beat that I I've never met a beat that I liked and so I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it and it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my entire life but it wasn't that it was a beat it was the way this guy it was what he did with it you know what I mean so I don't think I could just like he paired it with goat cheese well (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'm saying Uh, all right guys if you loved this episode call us leave us a voicemail our number is 470-465 oh my gosh i'm so bad at this i thought we were done with this no we're not done we're never done with this we're 470 i know you were the four, last six, person five i have hold on zero four seven five zero four seven five four seven zero four six five zero four seven five and you can go to patreon.com slash sheologians. Please don't turn this off yet because Patreon has new things that we can do that we're doing with you guys. So if you want access to this stuff, you have to go to patreon.com slash sheologians. What kind of stuff is it? They basically allow you to make it kind of like a mashup between a Facebook and an Instagram feed. And you can do like live videos and you can 
all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to stay busy letting people know, like, this is what we're doing. This is what Summer's I'm reading right now. I'm going to start a cooking show. I'm going to start a cooking show. And it's going to be on patreon.com. And, and I'm going to wear a beet apron and it's just going to be fabulous. And you can only get it. <laughs> Do you remember earlier when I insinuated that you take salsa baths? Did that happen? <laughs> that happened. That's so weird. And I loved every second of it. <laughs> Um, so please consider partnering with us on patreon.com slash sheologians. Every time you take a sip of water, please do help us keep the mics on, help us provide this content to you and check out the Patreon feed. That's it for this week. Leave us a voicemail. Okay. Bye. Bye.